hope you're in a good mood this morning. Uh, it's, I hope it's going to be a good morning. If not, well, you can blame the pastor. He'll be here next week. And, uh, but for now, uh, this, is, this is what we call Vision Sunday. And so we're going to get into talking about a lot of the a lot of the things that we do as a church, you're gonna get exposed to hopefully every single ministry we have this morning. And you're just gonna kinda of do, do some broad brush strokes about who we are, what we do, why we do what we do. And we're gonna talk about what's, what's coming in the next year or so that we're moving towards as a church. And I'm excited about it. Um, hopefully you will be too. Um, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Has anyone ever driven through fog? Driven through a really dense fog. Maybe some of you did this morning. Yeah, I drove through a really dense fog this morning. Stuck behind this guy. There's a lot of two-lane roads between our house now and the freeway, and so it really is God's way of, of growing and testing my patience. And uh, there's only one place where you can pass legally, and. I was going through and, and getting to this point, and there was fog, and so I'm wrestling in my mind, do I pass? You know, I can't really see that far down the road, so I'm not sure it's, it's the smartest thing, but luckily, as we just got a little further out on the straight stretch, the, the, the fog lifted a little bit. It was like God was just opening and parting the clouds so that I could pass this guy and get here. But it reminded me of another time when, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I had a friend, his name was John, John Grimm, uh, no relation to the TV show or the Reaper. And, um, but he was a couple years older than me and he had a Ford Fiesta. Anyone know what a Ford Fiesta is? Do you remember those? It was a five-speed Ford Fiesta. This thing had a hatchback. We use these things for delivering pizzas when I delivered pizzas. Um, and they were great because they were like little trucks. You could pop the, lay the back seat down and you had this, you know, this bed where you could put a bunch of stuff. And so if you had to take pizzas to a school party, you know, you could take 40 or 50 pizzas in one of them. Had a five speed so you could, you, know, you could really get good gas mileage driving through town. Uh, the first time that I was delivering pizzas on the very first night, it was nighttime and um, this car um, was new to me and so I, Got in the car, was in town. You know, there's all these street lights in town, so it's easy to see, it's bright. And so I had my lights on, I thought. Well, I only had my parking lights on, didn't have my headlights on, and so a cop pulled me over. And as he pulled me over, he started, he asked if I was wearing my seatbelt. And so, well, it's right here, can't you see? And so, well, how about your lap belt? And this was a brand new car to me. I forgot all about the lap belt because this had the motorized seatbelt that came up, and you know. So he let me off for the headlights, got a ticket for the seatbelt, and I'm not bitter about it or anything. But anyway, we went to court. I don't know, have I told this story before? No? Okay. Um, we went to court, and my dad took me to court. When you got a ticket as a teenager in Ohio, you had to go to court every single time. I don't know if it's that way here, but no matter what ticket, you just had to go to court, period. And um, as as, so my dad takes me to court, we go stand before the judge, the judge is lecturing me about safety and you know, and how it's really important that you wear seat belts and blah, blah, blah. I told him I thought I had my seat belt on, I just wasn't used to this car. And you know, he says, well, you know, we'll, we'll let it go this time because you have a good driving record. And, um, so dad and I get back in the truck and we get about, probably close to about seven eighths of the way home. 
And dad looks over, and neither of us are wearing our seatbelts. And he goes, well, that judge really taught us a lesson, didn't he? But my friend John and I, we were, uh, we were he, would, he had this car, the same car, so we were kind of used to the car by the time we were going. And our church was 12 miles away. There's 12 miles between our house and the church, and it was on State Route 93. And it was a really windy, really windy southeast Ohio road, like a lot of the roads we have up here in the hills, the Cascades, and all that stuff. And this, on Wednesday nights, we'd go to church and coming home, it'd be dark after youth, and so he was my ride to youth group. And um, one of the things that he liked to do would be on the way home when we had moonlight to turn off the lights and see how far he could go, you know, kind of test his bravery and see how far he could go. And uh, one night there was uh, a full moon and we got to this part long, one of, the, one of the few long straight stretches on State Route 93, got to this long straight stretch, so he turned off his lights and we're kind of going and everything's fine, we go past the field and then all of a sudden we come past a, a bunch of trees that were casting a shadow across the road. But when it's dark and your eyes aren't fully adjusted because there's light inside the car that, you're, that, are, that are kind of making your eyes freak out a little bit, it looked like there was something in the road. And so he slams on his brakes and we come to a crashing halt and he turns on his lights and realizes it was just a shadow. Freaked out for nothing. But when you can't see very far in front of you, it, it really, it really gets hard to know if what's in front of you is the right thing, if it's a safe thing, if what you're doing is going to lead you to a good solution or a bad solution. When you can't see very far in front of you, you never know if the step you're taking is the right step. You know, never know if the road you're on is the right road. You never know if, if the things that you think you see are what you actually see because you can't see very far down the road. And one of the things that, that God has given us as a church is a dream. And and this is a dream that's been kind of building over the last couple of years and is continuing to grow and God is continuing to bring pieces of it together and putting things together. And this morning, I just wanna look down the road as far as we can and, and get a picture of what God might have for us as a church. I think God is doing great things. I think God is doing wonderful things in this body and through this body in the community. And as we've talked about, we talked about last week, being invested in what God is doing that, that that the burden of responsibility falls on us. We have to be invested, and when we're invested in what God is doing, then it's a lot harder to complain, it's a lot harder to be unhappy, because instead of seeing problems, we, we take offense when other people see problems, and, and we want to make sure that we're fixing it. And so this morning, we're just gonna look down the road. We're gonna look out as far as we possibly can. I'm not making any guarantees. This is no, there are no promises on what we're talking about this morning. This is just as best as I can see down the road, as far as I can see where we're headed and what, what's coming. This is where we are going as a church. So, so don't take this to the bank. I, there will be a few things you can take to the bank, but not all of it. But this is just the direction we're going. To get started, I wanted to give you a picture of all of the ministries. One of the ministries that's not in this video is our community garden, and Nicole shared with me this morning we received $400 worth of seeds, heirloom seeds for the community garden, so that will last a couple of years. And so over the next, next few months, what they've got coming in the community garden is preparing for spring and compost and all that stuff. So like we've talked about before, bring your leaves, bring all that stuff so you can help the community garden. They have a goal next year to provide how much food for the food pantry? two tons. So two tons of, of produce is what 
uh, they're shooting for next year. And if you haven't looked, go look because there's a lot more garden out there than there used to be. Well, let's watch this video and just kind of get an idea of what's coming in our different ministries in the year ahead. One thing that is exciting just to be where we are right now, um, we have a lot of ministry going on and almost all of that is new um, in the last couple of years. And so it's just, it's really wonderful. It's awesome to see God bring people here who are gifted for, for different things and then, and then give them a space to, to create a ministry and use their gifts and talents. And that's what we do here at 6A. We, you know, like I've said, everyone here uh, has a mission, has a purpose, has a reason that you're here. There's nobody that gets to sit and just partake every week. Everyone here has a purpose. Everyone here has a reason. And God brought you here for a reason. So, so sitting and, and, uh, and just taking in is not an option because, as we've said so many times, we're a battleship, not a cruise ship. And so whatever your role is, if you don't know it yet, then just encourage you to talk to me. And we'll just, we'll work that out and figure out what it is. And we've got some ways to help you do that. But it's really exciting to see all the different things that are going on. And if you have questions about those ministries, you saw the people, go talk to them after the service today if you want to get involved and want to help out. But we are 6-8 Church. 6-8, that comes from Micah 6-8. You know this by now. Hopefully, if you don't, uh, we say it every Sunday anyway. So, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And that's the kind of church we're trying to be. So I say this every week so that, so that it's clear. We're trying to be a church of disciples, making disciple makers who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's foundation of what we do. But the, the most important thing is not even necessarily the name. The most important thing is disciples. And we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful to the great commission that God gave us at, as, he, as he left this earth. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do, and Jesus will be with us always to the very end of the ages. We walk on that mission. That, that, was his, that was his last words to us as he, as he gave us a command. And, and this is what we are trying to do. We're trying to be a church of disciples making disciple makers. The number one characteristic of being a disciple is that you make more disciples. That's it. That's the, the top thing, the top of the list is that a disciple makes more disciples. And we've talked about what it means to be a disciple. And what a disciple is, is someone who follows Christ and he brings someone else who follows you as you follow Christ. And Paul talked about that. It's a very simple way to, to explain it. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the church we're trying to be. People who are following Christ and who have people following us as we follow Christ. But if we're not bringing more people into the kingdom, then, then we're not doing our job as a church. If we're not bringing more people out of the darkness and into the light, then we're not doing our job. If we aren't reaching into the mess and reaching into the filthy places and rescuing people out of that mess, then we aren't doing our job. And so it's great that God has brought us here. It's not good enough if we just stay here. We've talked about that a lot over the last several weeks when we were in our money series. Well, this morning we're gonna be in John chapter three. John 3.16, one of the most popular verses of all time. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to pull those out and turn there. If you don't, you can pull out your phone and uh, open up the Bible app. It's a free app you can download and open up to John chapter three, verse 16. It will be on the screen for you to read as well. While you have your phone out, if you wanna check in on Facebook, let the world know you're here. We appreciate that. That puts 
6-8 church in your feed and then all your friends see 6-8 church and uh, just kind of gets us on the map. It's a, way, a simple way for you to uh, let the world know that you're following Christ through 6-8 church. John chapter 3. My mustache is tickling my nose this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave. I wanted to stop just for a second because we just finished up our money series. We talked about generosity and all of those things, but one of the other talks I did on money was I just focused on the fact that he gave, that God loved us so much that he gave. He gave his only son, his one and only son, so that we could have eternal life. And that's why that verse is on the tithing envelopes. It's because God gave, we give. Because God has been so generous, we respond in generosity. God so loved the world. God, in this way, loved the world. And we talked about way back then, what is your so? What is the so with which you're going to love the world? God so loved the world. God, in this way, loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the way. God gave his one and only son. That's the so. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's a great verse. That's why you see it on, on the cards at games. and That's why you see people shaking it at people on, on the corners and all that stuff. It's a great verse. But the problem is, too often we stop at verse 16 and we don't read the rest of the paragraph. We don't read the rest of the thought here. Verse 17 is equally important. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And a lot of times as followers of Christ, as, as Christ followers, we want to stop at the fact that Jesus Christ came to save the world and then we want to condemn the world. We want to shower condemnation because you're not following Jesus. So, so, but God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Let's read on. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're following Jesus Christ, you're not condemned. That's good news, right? Yeah. You're not condemned. Listen, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There is condemnation. If there was not condemnation, there would be no need for salvation. There would be no need for us to be rescued from anything. There is condemnation. But the thing that we don't understand is that people who do not believe in Jesus Christ are already condemned. They don't need us to condemn them more. And a lot of the wounds that have happened, a lot of the hurt that has happened is because as believers, as followers of Christ, we learn a few things and then we like to start beating people over the head with it, proving that we are more of a follower, we are more like Christ than they are, and we don't really understand the gospel. They're already condemned, we don't need to shower them in more condemnation. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to be light bearers. We, we are a light to a very dark world. 
The world is condemned. The world is broken. The world is fallen. The world has the weight of sin on its shoulders. And only through the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross will they find freedom from that sin, from that burden, from that condemnation. The way we do that, though, is not to gather together every Sunday morning and make ourselves feel good about being a follower of Jesus Christ, but to go into the darkness and shine our light. Every time we shine our light in the darkness, the darkness shrinks back. The darkness pulls back. Darkness cannot overcome light. But what good does it do to shine our light around other lights if that's the only place we ever shine our light? The world needs us to be more like Christ when we're in the world. The world needs us to be more like Christ when we're walking with those who are in the darkness. So as we head into another year of ministry, another year of mission and vision at 6-8 Church, it's really simple. We just need to be the light. We need to be the light that we've been given. We need to be the light that we reflect, reflecting the light of Christ into a very dark world. We're all about making disciples, and disciples are lights. Disciples go into the darkness and shine the light. And if you look at the disciples and the ministry they had after Jesus ascended into heaven, you'll see that they went into some very dark places and they risked quite a bit to go into the darkness and shine the light of the gospel. And right now, it may feel like we are under a bit of of darkness and it's a little scary to get out there and shine our light, but I promise the the offense or the danger we face is nothing compared to what Peter faced. It's nothing compared to what James faced. It's nothing compared to what Stephen faced. And, And the darkness, even though it is growing, even though in our country the darkness is growing, it is not nearly as dark as what disciples before us have experienced. And I think we, we, like to, we like to find excuses, and I've talked about this a lot in our, in our past talks, that we like to find excuses. Well, I just can't do it because, you know, it's not politically correct anymore. And I've, I have myself stood under these excuses in the past. I have myself stood under the excuse, I cannot do this because it's just not popular. I cannot be the light because people will be offended. I had a very real encounter this week with this. And I'm not gonna give you a lot of details, I'm not gonna talk about it, but I spoke truth into a situation, truth of what we believe in Scripture, what we believe to be true. And there were those who responded very negatively, found myself under attack from people I would not have ever imagined being under attack. Not here, no one here at the church, nothing to do with that. But it's not going to be easy. But ease is not what drives our mission. What drives our mission is the truth and grace of the gospel. And so this year, I'm, I'm praying for us as a church, I am praying deeply for us as a church that we will find another level. That, that we will find another deeper level of commitment to following Jesus Christ. That we will find a, another level deeper in us that, that will take us into the darkness, that will take us into those areas where we will be willing with grace to speak the truth. Grace and truth. 
that we will always speak the grace, but we will not shrink back from the truth because the world needs to hear the truth of the gospel so that it can be rescued from the condemnation that it stands under. The only way that happens, the only way that is going to be accomplished is if we actually leave this place on Sunday and for the other 166 hours of the week, we go out and shine the light into the dark world. That's what disciples do, that's who disciples are. So we're trying to make disciples. How are we making disciples? There's a video you can go watch if you wanna know more about this. We call this our process for making disciples, the 6-8 process. And it goes like this. I'm gonna run through it really fast because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to be aware of it. We talk about preparing, and I'm gonna spend just a, some time on that in here a second, but preparing the soil and how we want the seeds to fall on good soil so that when we share the gospel, the soil has been prepared and it's ready to receive the gospel. So we prepare the soil and we do things to prepare the soil. And then we plant the seed of the gospel. We plant the seed so that it has a chance to grow and we just pray that God will grow the seed into a plant. And then we progress and protect. So as they're progressing and growing up in the faith, then our, our job here as followers of Jesus Christ is to do our best to protect them from being cut off by the world. And so as they grow and as their faith becomes their own, then we protect them while they're progressing. And then the really fun part, uh, I, a time will come in all of our lives when we need to be pruned. When there's something in our life that, that may not be working, there may be some good things in our life that God needs to cut out for the greater things that he has for us, and so we will be pruned. And the, we have ministries with, with men's ministries and, and the serving that we do and the groups that serve there where, where you can come together and you can experience some of that. And then the ultimate goal is to produce the fruit of the kingdom of God so that we're producing more disciples, bringing more people into the kingdom. That's our process. That's what we hope everyone is going to be walking through. Everyone is going to be going through that. And that's why we have the vines on the wall. And that's why we did the stickers for Easter. And, and we're going to start making another push for those here on a lot more regular basis. Is because we want you to be preparing the soil. So you have to invest in your relationships with people and prepare the soil. And then as you're preparing, then you have an opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel and watch it grow. And that's why we have the vines. That's what we're reminded of when we see those is that, that we are attached to the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Our purpose is to produce fruit that will last for all of eternity. But something I want to share with us this morning that's new, um, you're going to start seeing this phrase used a lot more, and it's called My 6-8. I have a, a new uh, little logo for you to see here. Uh, my 6-8, we're making, for one, we're making a change, and I've, I know it's always been confusing, so hopefully this helps just kind of get us all on the same page. From 8 to 15, we talked about for years, it's gonna be 6 to 8. So for one, hopefully that's a little less intimidating. I don't have to come up with 15 people that are in my sphere of influence. I can come up with 6 to 8 people who are in my sphere of influence. But my 6 to 8 is gonna go a lot deeper than just the 6 to 8 people that God has put in our life to reach for the kingdom, and I wanna go over that this morning. We can't possibly, as a church, create a strategy that meets the need of every single person that comes to this church. And I don't think that we should. There has been a move for probably the last 20, 30, 40 years that the church should be meeting all of the needs of everyone who comes, and when the church does not meet those needs, when the church is not making those people comfortable, then people decide to leave the church and go find the church that actually meets the needs that they think should be met. And so this whole church hopping, this whole church 
you know, one to two years at a church until they say something, until I say something that makes you mad has kind of become the norm in the last several years. And so um, I don't think that that's right. And I got to thinking about it. I was doing some thinking in the last several months as, as we've been walking together as a church and thinking, why do we have this idea? Why do we have this inkling, this thought that the church is supposed to meet all of my needs? Where did this idea come from? That the church is supposed to provide everything that I want so that I feel happy when I'm a part of a church. You know, so, so if the, but if the church doesn't have this one, you know, if the church does not have, and the easiest one, the first one that comes to mind is that other churches, they had Wednesday morning women's Bible study. And if the church does not have that Wednesday morning women's Bible study, then I'm gonna find a church that does. The church does not have Sunday school and Sunday school classes where I can learn more about, about the scripture and I can fill my head with information that never applies to my life. I'm never transformed. I never worry about that, but I can fill my head with information so that I feel like I know more about God than I'm going to go find a church where that does happen. Why do we feel like, for some reason, the church is supposed to be meeting all of our needs? We've got this Burger King philosophy that we get to have it our way. And I think that's really messed up. And so I got to thinking, I got to looking and, and doing a little bit of research about the church. There, before, uh, before you know, the 1900s, there weren't really men's ministries and women's ministries and children's ministries and youth ministries and all of these different ministries that, that we come up with. There was just the community. There was the community of believers. There was the community that kind of came together and they met one another's needs and they encouraged one another and they, they lifted one another up. They built one another up. They equipped one another for the service in the kingdom. This was, it was a much more, it was a much simpler strategy. Now, don't hear me. I'm not saying we're gonna shut down all the ministries that we do. I think there's great validity in a lot of the ministries, but it really got me thinking, who does the burden fall on for the needs that we think we have when it comes to church community. Because I can't possibly meet all of your needs. I don't know if you know this. I'm not that good of a person. I'm not that, I mean, I have to be like 100 feet tall and like, you know, 70,000 years old to be able to meet all of your needs so I had enough wisdom to answer all of your questions, so I had enough wisdom to walk you through every situation. It is humanly, physically, spiritually, emotionally impossible for me to meet the needs of every single person at our church. It's the same for every pastor, it's the same for every church. It is not possible for a single pastor to meet the spiritual, emotional needs of every single person in the church. So where does that responsibility fall? Where does it come down? Is it, is it I go to 6-8 church and they have a great ministry, they have a great vision, they have some great things that they do, and so I go there and I like 6-8 church, or do we ever kind of step across the line and say, this is my church? We talked about this a little bit last week, to be invested, and when you're invested in something, that you start to take on the weight, you start to take on the burden, you carry the mission, you carry the vision, you are offended when things don't go right. You are offended when people are critical of your church because this is my church. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm really bought in and I know a lot of us are bought in, but have we really taken complete and total ownership? This is my church. 
And if we, have, if we succeed at one thing in this coming year, this is what I hope we succeed at, that, that we turn a corner and we say, this is my church. That we're gonna be so invested in what God is doing here at 6A Church that, that we aren't even going to ever consider because we're in a covenant relationship with this body here. We're not gonna consider walking away. We're here for the tough stuff. We're here through the thick and thin. We're here when it's pretty. We're here when it's ugly. We are committed because this is my church. This is my church and I'm not walking away no matter what happens. I am in it for the long haul. And it's not just about being in it for the long haul that it becomes my responsibility then to bring people in. It's not the church's responsibility to send out cards. We do those things. It's not the church's responsibility to do advertising in the community. We do those things. But it's my responsibility to bring people who are lost in. This is my church. And I'm praying that we go to really, really deep levels that I am going to take personal responsibility for what happens here. I carry the responsibility of leading my job is to lead us as a church, but what would it look like? How would it change if we all said this was my church? It's mine. Yes, it's Christ's church. Yes, it's God's church, but I am seriously invested. When you're invested, you take ownership, you make things happen. And that's my prayer is that you will think of this as yours. Not as something you come to, not as something you give to, not as something you participate in, but this is your church. This is my 6-8. And this, I really think, changes a lot of things. Instead of it being my responsibility or our responsibility as a church to make sure that you're growing in your walk with God, it is now your responsibility to make sure you're growing with your walk with God. I hope and pray that what we do is taking us deeper and going to deeper levels, but we only have an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Is that really enough for us to go where we're supposed to go with God? Until we own that and we take ownership of my walk, my relationship with God, then where are we going to stay? So I'm hoping it will be my relationship. And Kenan, who's here this morning, he's always said this, I can't want it bad enough for you. I can want so deeply for you to follow Christ. I can want so passionately for you to surrender everything and go after it with all of your heart, but I can't want it bad enough for you. You have to want it for yourself. I'm hoping you will say, it's my relationship with God. It's my responsibility. I'm hoping we will walk out of here this morning and say, it's my community. It's my fellowship. It's my body. And while we will continue to do things that try to enhance our fellowship and try to build relationships and bring us together, what would it look like if we took the ownership for building community? We can't do enough potlucks and fellowship things to get everyone to know one another. What if we took the responsibility on our shoulders to get to know somebody? <gasps> As an introvert, I know how that sounds, but it's my responsibility to get to know people. It's my responsibility to build community with those around me. So simple question, who don't you know yet? If you don't know somebody, take them out to lunch, go out to coffee, get together, get to know them, say hey after the service, I wanna go do something. It's my relationship with God, it's my community, it's my fellowship, it's my service. The church isn't recruiting me to fill a position, but I have a passion to want to serve, to want to give, to want to 
do something for the kingdom that I can participate in. So it's my service. It's my opportunity to serve. It's, it's, not, it's not me up here week after week pulling your, your hair and your teeth and your nails and everything I possibly can to try to get someone involved in serving, but it's, it's my service. I am going to serve. I am going to get involved. I'm going to do something. It's my relationship, it's my community, it's my service, it's my story. A lot of times we think about the story of the cross and we think about what Jesus did and a lot of times, maybe even in all, we can't believe that Christ would do that for us, but we never really, I think, take the next step and say, this is my redemption story. As a kid, we used to sing the song, this is my story, this is my song. And I think, the idea of the gospel and the idea of redemption has become something that's removed from us. It's this big story, it's this grand story, but it's not really my story, that's God's story. But as soon as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the story of redemption becomes my story. And this is my story. This is my chance to share what has happened. And as we, as we own the story of our own redemption, then we start to have passion for sharing it because we realize this is not some ethereal thing that's out there in the universe that we hope is going to affect us someday. This is in the here and now, my story. This is my redemption. And I'm hoping and praying that we will take ownership of my story, of our story. What is your story? How has God redeemed you? What is it that God brought you back from? What's your story? My story. My relationship, my community, my service, my story. And that leads us to my six to eight. Who are the six to eight people God has put in your life so that you can share your story with, so that you can, through your service, shine the light of the gospel, so that you can, through the community that you are part of, let them see what the kingdom of God looks like, so that you can, through all of these things, show them what a relationship, a real relationship with God looks like. Who are the six to eight people that you walk with that need to see these things? So they all build, they all connect, they're all a part of it, and it's all on me. And I believe firmly God has called me here. God has brought me here. And it's on me. Talking about me right now, not me, but me. It's on me to lead us. But if all I ever get you to do is to follow me, I failed. Yes, I want you to follow me, and yes, I hope as I follow Christ, you will be able to follow and be able to take your relationship. But if it never becomes your story, if it never becomes your ownership that you take, then I've failed. So, instead of it all falling on me, it all falls on me. Does that make sense? One of the things we're gonna start doing as a church, we're gonna do like we do with a lot of things, try to set the example, try to show you what it is we're after. And we're gonna do what we call once a month green events. Six, eight green, green events. These are things that are safe to invite your non-believing, non-Christian, your six to eight people to. And this is just going to be a preparing event. This is where we prepare the soil. We're, we're not going to be cramming the gospel down people's throats. We're not going to be preaching sermons and doing those things that people expect at church. But we want to invite people into our community where they can experience 
the community of 6-8 Church, where they can experience our fellowship. They can experience us as we shine the light, and we can do all of these things without having to cram the gospel down people's throats. And so we're going to do events. People don't think Christians have fun, and I like to have fun, and so we're going to have fun. And one of the things we're going to do, we're going to start off with a harvest party out at our house. I'm uh, currently researching and putting together plans for making a pumpkin launcher. And so we're calling this Bringing Your Own Pumpkin. And so bring your own pumpkin, invite a friend, bring their pumpkin, buy their pumpkin for them, say, hey, you want to come, come launch a pumpkin with me? Might set up some targets out in the field depending on how far this thing goes and see if we can hit some targets. Just have fun, have a bonfire. What was the other thing? Hayride. Hayride. Yeah. We're going to have a hayride. Um, we live on, uh, at my grandpa's old house, and it's on a 160-acre farm, and so lots of place out there for us to go and do a hayride and just lots of place to go out and have fun. And so that's what it's going to be. It's just going to come hang out and have fun. And we want you to start inviting your friends and say, hey, you want to come hang out at my pastor's house? And they'll be like, no way, dude. And you can say, no, I promise it's not going to be anything. And I promise you I'm not going to be walking around whispering in people's ears, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You need to give your life. I'm not going to be doing that. We're just going to have fun. We're going to launch some pumpkins. We're going to have a fire, roast some hot dogs, maybe make some s'mores. We'll have some more s'mores. And you guys can all have the s'mores you want, and I'll just be in the corner stealing all the Hershey bars and eating those, and you'll wonder where all the chocolate went, and then we'll have a hayride. It's just going to be fun. We just want you to invite your friends to have a good time. So we're going to have these green events, and we're working over the next six months to have one a month, a green event where you can invite your friends, and it's just going to be fun. They can see the Christian people aren't all stuck up and snotty and stodgy and preachy all the time. Another area, so that's, that's my 6-8. You'll hear more about that. We'll put that into writing so you can understand it, so you can expect it. But I am praying that we will take ownership, that we will take the burden, that we will start to hear about people meeting together because they want to build community. They want to follow God together. Not because we as a church have to put together some kind of system and strategy to facilitate that, but because we're all humans and we know how to talk to other people, we can figure out how to be in fellowship even when people don't give us the instructions. We can figure out how to follow Christ. We can figure out how to read our Bibles. We can figure out how to pray and do those things. We can do them together. We can do them alone. We can follow and make it my relationship, my community, my service, my story, my 6-8, and remember. But there's another area I'm hoping we can reach into. Just about done, don't worry. There are a lot of people around us that have been deeply wounded by the church. There are a lot of people who have been hurt by people in the church who think they're doing the right thing and they make some kind of statement, they make some kind of decision, they do something that deeply offends someone. And this is a wound that's really deep. This is a wound that's really hard to overcome. We talked about a while ago about, about the growing group of the nuns, not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S, those who have been hurt by the church 
and that they have decided after being wounded for whatever reason, they're just not going to be a part of any religion anymore. They claim themselves to be non-affiliated with any religious group. What's your religious affiliation? None. I have none. And that number grew by 7% or 14% in the last seven years. 14% of people in the last who used to follow Christ have decided they have no religious affiliation anymore. I'm sure you probably know people. I know people. There are people that, I, that I've been praying for that I'm hoping we will have an opportunity to reach. It's a difficult situation because we don't know where these people stand. We don't know what their faith is, what their, what their status in their faith is, if they're following God or not. But, but there are people who have been wounded, and we, I think, have a responsibility to reach into that and to do what we can to pull them back. So I'm asking the question, how? How can we reach out to those who have been hurt by the church? How can we reach out to those who have been wounded by the church, who have walked away from the church altogether and aren't willing to come back? How can we do that? For one, I think it happens by relationship. There are probably people in your six to eight who you already know who can, through relationship, show them that there are people who are taking this seriously and trying to follow Christ wholly. We don't do this by compromising the truth of Scripture. We can't go into and say, well, I don't believe this anymore, so I can't follow Christ. Well, we, we can't make those decisions. We have the Scripture. We have what Bible tells us that we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to do. It's not our choice to start cutting things out that we don't like. We don't get to compromise truth, but when we actually live them out instead of just preaching them at people, I think people will notice. As I've said before, I don't think we need more information. I think we're full. I think we have been fed for a long time. What we need are people living it out more and more every day. And I think when we're actually a church being the church, broken people of all kinds will find healing. When the church isn't being the church, when the church is pursuing some other mission, some other vision, some other idea, people are going to get wounded. People are going to be broken. People are going to be hurt because we're stepping over people to pursue something that has nothing to do with the kingdom. And that's not the kind of church that we're going to be. We're going to be the kind of church that pursues people who are broken and tries to invite them in, welcome them in where they can find healing. When the church is being the church, broken people find healing. Who do you know? who's been wounded by the church and walked away that you can reach out to. If you have ideas for that, I'd love for you to share them with me. If you have ways you think we can reach into that, please talk to me. One thing that's coming in January that we're working towards is the 6-8 life. We've talked about how we are about making disciples. We want to be a church of, of disciples making disciple makers. And we've tried for the last year and a half or so what we call the Disciples Project. And, and we're doing these modules. We're starting another module 
next week on walking humbly, what it means to walk humbly with our God. We're going to be digging into that. We are serious about making disciples. But, but if what we learn here never goes beyond the walls of this building and into our lives, then we're still failing. And so we've been talking about how do we help you as followers of Christ take what we're learning and apply it to your life. And so we're looking at something a little bit different, actually a lot different than anything that we've ever done. And it's going to be what we call you know, daily coaching, a daily daily pushing, daily prodding, daily prompting that we're going to start doing. We're going to start putting a lot of focus on, on short five to ten minute videos or podcasts. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Maybe an app for your phone where you get a reminder every day and a little alert said, have you, have you watched the video? Have you done blah, blah? We don't know. We're still fleshing out all of the stuff that it's going to look like. But we want to give you something every day so that you can follow Christ for that day. We want to give you something every day so that you can go into your life with a, with a scripture and with a challenge, with something that is going to give you the scriptural basis that you need and then something that's going to push you to serve the people around you. And so we're calling it the 6-8 life. We want to take what we do as 6-8 church and, and do whatever we can to apply it to our lives on a daily basis. And so we're hoping that this will become something that really pushes us as a body to be disciples, making disciple makers. That it's not enough to just come on Sunday, that we have to be transformed in our day-to-day lives, that we have to be transformed as we go to work, we have to be transformed as we lead our families, we have to be transformed as we go into whatever place we go to so that the light shines. We don't hide our light, we don't put it under a basket and hope that no one sees it, but we shine the light brightly. And so you'll hear more about that, especially as it gets closer and as we figure out what that's going to look like. But I wanted you to know that's coming, and we hope it's going to be something that will really be a great tool to push us to be disciples. It should be very clear to you by now that we live in a broken, fallen, messed up world. Two weeks ago, there was a shooting in Oregon. Last week, there were two shootings on the same day in different parts of the country. The story of the kingdom is the only solution. The story of the gospel is the only thing that has a chance at rescuing people. There is is no institution There is no strategy, there is no platform, there is no person, there is nothing outside of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that gives actual hope for change. There is nothing bigger than what Christ did on the cross. There is nothing that can bring us and rescue us from the weight that we all carry before we found Jesus Christ. There is nothing this world has to offer that will do anything to bring hope to those who have lost it. And our responsibility, our job as a church, is not to shrink back, it's not to hide our light, it's not to do what we can to blend in, but it's to do what we can to stand out, it's to do what we can so that the world sees this light in us, that they see the difference that the gospel makes in us, that they see the difference the cross has made in us so that we can walk in there and change the story. You see, God has given us the tools, God has given us the power, God has given us the authority, God has given us everything we need to walk into the darkness and change the stories of those who are struggling in the darkness. And I just have this overwhelming hope that we're gonna be the church that does that. 
I have this overwhelming hope that the we in this community that we have been planted in, the community that you are planted in, the six to eight people that are around you, that we are gonna be the church that brings the hope to change the story. And we're gonna bring the people into community and they will experience Christ for the first time in the way that they've never seen him because we have the answer. There's only one answer to all of the questions that the world is asking. And the world is doing what it can to fill the void of an answer with things that will distract us from it when we have the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way into eternity. I'm hoping you have put your faith in that this morning, that you are following after that with all of your heart. The world would have us believe that there's a lot of ways. I talked with some people this week who, who say, well, I believe in God. I just don't go to church. I don't believe in what the church is doing. Like we talked about last week, it's pretty hard to be in love with the groom and hate the bride. What are you gonna do? We have our strategies, we have our systems, we have our things we're trying to do, we have our dreams, we have our visions, but what are you gonna do? And maybe this isn't the kind of vision talk you were hoping to hear and just rah, 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 and you know, fanfare and all of those things, but I think it's time for us to own it. I think it's time for us to, to do my part. For me to really say, you know what, I, I have a responsibility in this. I have ownership in this. I have something I am supposed to do. I'm not gonna sit back and complain about all the things that I don't see happening. I'm not gonna sit back and complain about all the things that I wish were happening so that I could feel better about myself. I'm gonna own it and I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna own the six to eight people in my life and I'm gonna go and do whatever I can to shine my light in front of them so that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I am going to own what the story has done to me. And can you imagine, would you stop with me just for a minute, and let's, let's imagine a year from now. We do this every year. Imagine a year from now, we're all coming back together, it's Vision Sunday again. And imagine what it would look like if we have all done this for one year. Imagine what it would look like if we have all for one year, if we, just, if we just committed to one year, what could happen, what change could be brought to this community. If God only gives you one more year, what are you gonna do with it? My grandpa Wilson, he preached this sermon, if God will give you one more year, what are you gonna do? We're not guaranteed anything, we have no promises what day we're going to be taken home to be with our father, but if God will give you one more year, what'll you do? We all know people who are struggling, who are coming to the end of their life right now, who aren't going to make it to another year. What if that's us a year from now? If God will give you one more year, what will you do? I can see it. I can, I can dream it. I can imagine it, but I can't do it all myself. I wish I could. 
I really do. I wish I, I wish I had it all so that I could do everything and I could do whatever it took to, to attract a crowd and I could bring all the people in and I could go out and I could go door to door and I just had whatever it took to reach those people and I could go and reach as many people, I could reach all of the thousands of people, the 10,000 people that live in our zip code right around us. I, I wish I had what it took to reach them all, but I don't have what it takes. I am not that big of a person. But in this room lies all of the potential that we need to change this community. And I believe in you, I believe in us, I believe in what God is doing here at 6-8 Church, and I believe if we for the next year give God this year and say, I will do what you tell me to do, I will do what you ask me to do, I will follow wherever you lead me, I'm gonna go where you go, I am yours for this year, use me to build your kingdom that God will do unstoppable, unthinkable, unimaginable things here at 6-8 Church because he has a plan. He has a dream, he has a hope for all of these people to hear the gospel and to come into the kingdom. He died for the whole world, for God so loved the world, not just the church, but God loved the world that he gave his son. How much of our world that we live in, how much of my world knows that he even exists? The greatest injustice of all is having a savior and not knowing he exists. Will you take a step with me? Will you take a step from going to 6-8 church to making this my 6-8. Will you take a step with me? Just take one more step. It might be a really hard step. It might be a really challenging step, but I'm hoping you'll take a step with me. And as we go, we just take one more step forward. This is my 6-8. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes so that those who don't know here I hope and pray that you will join me. And I hope and pray that a year from now, what we just saw in that video will be stories that we're sharing of lives that have been changed because we went into the community and did that. Because my six to eight know that I shine the light of the gospel. Together, we can change the story. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that the burden does not fall on me to earn my place with you, that the burden does not fall on me to buy my place with you, but that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I have been given freely a place, a right standing. I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die. Father, I pray that we as a church, as a body, would in that same way give ourselves to the six to eight people around us, that we would give ourselves to the greater mission of the church. Yes, we enjoy this life and we enjoy the things you've given us to enjoy and we love our families and we spend time with our families, but that we would love in this way the mission that you've given us as a church. Father, I pray that you would just help us to take ownership of it, that you'd help us right now in this moment by the power of your spirit to take a hold of this 
idea to take a hold of this community, to take a hold of this body and say, this is my community. This is my church. This is, this is my family. Father, I pray that you would, in these few moments, just remind us how much we've been given. Remind us how great the grace is that we have received and that you would empower us, you would fill us to overflowing so that we could be the church. The now in this time we would rise up. The now in this time we would take a stand for the gospel. And not that we would shower condemnation, but that we would shine brightly the light of the change the gospel offers. And that we would go into the darkness and shine the light. We would go into the mess and shine the light. That we would go in and show mercy to those who may not deserve mercy. We'd go in and show grace to those who don't deserve grace. And that they would receive for the first time the free gift that has been given for them. Father, empower us, fill us, push us, prod us, encourage us, kick us, shove us. Do whatever it takes to get us to that level so that we can see you do great things through us in Jesus' name.